0: Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Alex Castillo-Smith. I'm with the Human Services Department. Thank you for joining us for today's COVID-19 uh, update. We are joined by Secretaries Tracy Collins with the Department of Health, um, David's Grace with the Human Services Department, as well by our state epidemiologist, Dr. Christine Ross we're going to provide some comprehensive updates. And then after that, I'll facilitate questions and answers with our media partners. So let me ask today's speakers to turn on their camera, if they've not already, and then we will get started with Secretary Collins.
1: Thanks, Alex, good afternoon. <clears throat> Happy to present a vaccine update. So as far as the doses delivered to the state and shots in arms, New Mexico continues to lead the country as being the most efficient vaccine distributor. So great news. So as far as our progress with vaccinations, for New Mexicans 16 years of age or older, 65.7% have received one shot. And then 56% of New Mexicans are fully vaccinated, which is really great news. Um, Additional updates, all counties are now turquoise. So given the state's vaccination progress and continued positive outlook with respect to new virus cases, counties will remain at the turquoise level barring any exceptional circumstances and that will continue for the duration of our use of the color-coded county by county system. We will continue to closely monitor vaccination rates and step up efforts to make vaccinations even more accessible. So given that our goal is 60% by June 30th, we are on track. When 60% of New Mexicans 16 years of age or older are fully vaccinated, we will graduate from the red, yellow, green, turquoise county color system. Please keep in mind that Native communities are sovereign and may operate according to different guidelines. So if you want to learn more about becoming a vaccination site, please go to GetVaxNM.com. This is something that we can open. We open it up to businesses, nonprofits, religious organizations, schools, and we've had really a great response, but we want to see it continue. Keep in mind that we have now more than 970,000 New Mexicans who are registered for the vaccine. You go to VaccineNM.org. You can schedule your own vaccine appointments, including your second shot or your booster. And the vaccine is free for everyone. I want to reiterate that. The vaccine is free. There's no cost. And you do not need a social security number or government ID to receive your free COVID vaccine. And we do not, as a state, share immigration status information with the federal government. Please keep in mind, vaccine sites are safe. So some exciting news, we have now started Vax to the Max sweepstakes. So you can be eligible to win a lot of cash and you can also um, run prizes, staycations. It's really exciting. So please register at VaxToTheMaxNM.org to be eligible. So keep in mind, you need to have received at least one shot in New Mexico and you do have to register to be put into um, eligibility for one of the prizes. And so we have great prizes, it's exciting times. So if you've not gotten your vaccine, now's the time. But keep in mind, even if you got your vaccine back in December, you can be eligible to win a prize. You just have to go back in and register at VaxToTheMaxNM.org. If you need support getting scheduled or to get registered for the sweepstakes, please call us at one of these numbers and you can, we can help you get yourself registered for the sweepstakes or your vaccine. So I just wanna reiterate, we're all doing a fantastic job. Thank you for the work you're doing in New Mexico. We're standing together and protecting one another. And now it's my pleasure to welcome back Dr. Christine Ross, our state epidemiologist, who's gonna talk about vaccine effectiveness. Dr. Ross. Thank
2: you, Secretary Collins. I'm happy to be here this afternoon. So I'm going to give a brief update on COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness and the work of the Department of Health to monitor or conduct surveillance of vaccine breakthrough infections. Um, we are highlighting this topic today because there have been a few questions um, by reporters and the public uh, related to this topic, so I'm happy to provide uh, some further information today. So first, let's start with uh, definition. So what is a COVID-19 vaccine breakthrough infection or case? So this is when a person tests positive for SARS-CoV-2 or the virus, Uh, that causes COVID-19 after the time period elapses when we consider a person fully vaccinated or protected. So this is 14 days after completing an FDA authorized vaccine series. There are some additional caveats to this case definition, which has been normalized across across all the states and jurisdictions to help us decipher, is this a new infection after vaccination or not? So we do exclude persons from this case definition that had a recent previous SARS-CoV-2 positive lab or a positive lab within 90 days. So even with these caveats, um, we do find that not all cases that we originally identify as a vaccine breakthrough infection or case ultimately are determined to be a true uh, breakthrough case. So I think from my talk today, I really want to emphasize and make it extremely clear that COVID-19 vaccines, the three vaccines currently authorized here in the United States, are highly effective. And they are a very critical tool to continue to help us bring this pandemic under control. However, no vaccine on the market is 100% effective, and this is amongst COVID-19 vaccines and other vaccines in general. So no vaccine is 100% effective. So what does that mean? It means that vaccine breakthrough infections are expected. Um, The good news is that even when um, a vaccine breakthrough case does occur, there's evidence that that the vaccination likely reduced the severity of illness uh, that a person experiences. So now um, let's zero in on actual vaccine breakthrough infection surveillance data. So all states report vaccine breakthrough surveillance data to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And this is so that the rate of vaccine breakthrough cases across the United States can be monitored. So this first bullet, um, highlights a, a recent publication by the CDC uh, called an MMWR publication, which uh, found that among 101 million fully vaccinated in the United States at the time of that study, that they were able to identify somewhere around 10,000 vaccine breakthrough infections. That What that equates to is 0.01%. So extremely rare. So these were reported across 46 U.S. states and territories as of April 30th. And I included a link there to that study um, if folks are interested in more details. And then the the second data focuses more precisely on our surveillance data here for uh, New Mexico. So among over 900,000 fully vaccinated New Mexicans, we have identified 696 breakthrough infections. This was as of June 1st for uh, also a very low rate of 0.074%. Uh, so. When we look at this uh, data uh, uh, in, in finer uh, granular detail, we don't see any surprising patterns among demographic groups or any pattern related to vaccine type. And again, further investigation takes place after we've we we first identify a case through our surveillance system. And again, after further investigation, not all will be determined to be true vaccine breakthrough cases. And again, this is a little bit more uh, detail of our surveillance data. So among those very few vaccine breakthrough infections that we have identified, 67 persons were hospitalized. Of those 67 hospitalized upon further investigation, only 15 were likely uh, to be uh, COVID-19 related. Um, similarly, um, you can see a very low rate of deaths. So eight deaths have been identified among our vaccine breakthrough cases identified through surveillance. After further investigation, six of those deaths were determined to be related to COVID, either as an immediate or an underlying underlying cause of death. And it's important to also understand that um, um, these individuals uh, typically have multiple comorbidities or pre-existing conditions and typically very complicated medical histories. So finally, I, I want to end again on on what is really the larger uh, story here, it, which is that the COVID-19 vaccines are highly effective. So clinical trials were conducted um, prior to authorization of the COVID-19 uh, vaccines, and these dis- demonstrated really high efficacy and safety, um, but very high efficacy in preventing COVID-19 illness, including a severe uh, disease. And after these uh, vaccines were authorized, uh, the the science doesn't stop. We continue to study the vaccines to evaluate how they're performing in in real-world circumstances and in changing conditions, such as with uh, emerging variants. Thus far, the vaccines are performing very well. These studies that are being conducted will also be used to inform us on our ongoing um, vaccine development efforts. So just again, take home message from me is that looking at all of our surveillance data uh, to date, um, I want to share this fact very clearly that nearly all the new COVID cases, hospitalizations and deaths are among persons that are unvaccinated. So again, I have shared today some of our vaccine breakthrough surveillance data um, so that folks understand that this, these efforts are underway. Um, but the rate of vaccine breakthrough um, uh, cases thus far is very, very low. So please, New Mexico, get your shots, get your COVID-19 vaccine as soon as you can. And that's it for me. Thank you very much. Uh,
3: thanks, Christine. Uh, thanks, Tracy. It's a privilege to be on a panel with these two esteemed doctors. And uh, I know a lot of work has gone into calling through those cases and people who are uh, at least positive test results in people who have already been vaccinated. And you know, the epidemiology department keeps putting out great reports on the DOH website. Two more recently published ones are variant of concern reports, which I'll touch on today briefly. And then they have a new pediatric case report that came out and uh, you may be interested in looking at some of the data here. This is our epidemiologic curve. I feel kind of funny. Uh, presenting this with Christine on the call today, because normally I'm the one listening to her present this. But just as review, the blue graph here is uh, the graph of cases uh, in all of New Mexico, and then the five lines underneath, which nicely meld almost into a single line near the end where we want it, are the five uh, regions of the state. And uh, you can see that we uh, are now at a case range of 132 cases per day, averaged over seven days with that famous six-day lag to make sure all the data gets in and we have a chance to file the case in the correct date. This is really a low point. You have to go all the way back to September 20th to find a, a data point that low, and it's nice to see this downward trend. And Some of the news that Tracy shared that I'll reiterate is related to our success with our case counts and and the decline in the vaccine, uh, the decline in cases due to vaccinations. Uh, we're still vaccinating 33 people for every one case we see daily. It was great to come back after a long weekend and find out we had an average number of cases over four days that averaged less than 100 a day. And that's been a long time coming as well. So another exciting trend and and very, very positive for the state and allows us a lot more freedom, I think, to reopen and do some other things to uh, ensure that we, are, we that at least most of us have a really good summer. But speaking of good summers, uh, you know, I see the summer as being two different kinds of summers. I think there's going to be a summer for fully vaccinated individuals where you have a really, really low chance of being infected. And then uh, the summer for unvaccinated individuals, well, there'll be a much uh, much higher chance. And I've got some numbers for you in a couple slides. So, particularly people who are unvaccinated, who are going to mass gatherings, who are not regularly wearing a mask, are not practicing social distancing, and actually uh, who live in a county, for example, where they interact with people every day who are where the vaccination rate is low, all of those things can significantly increase one's risk of developing COVID and, and part of that is the variance that we're seeing here in New Mexico. So Alex, next slide. Uh, oh yes, this is the summer for uh, unvaccinated people. I don't know about you, but I, the left side of this slide uh, looks particularly uh, more attractive to me. So uh, Christine I, and her team in epidemiology put out this report every couple of weeks. Uh, B117 went from being really zero cases. The United Kingdom variant went from zero cases back in uh, January to being almost 70% of all of our cases. And there is some fairly good data now that it tends to spread at one and a half to two times uh, more quickly, is more transmissible than what we had for the first part of the pandemic. We saw a rise in California variants and Those now, as you can see are back down below 5% on the slide and some of the other variants are listed here. But our patterns here in New Mexico pretty closely reflect what we've seen in the Southwest and also what we've seen in in the country. And I think the main point though is with B one one seven, is the fact that it can spread more rapidly. The other thing we've talked about in the past is it's resistant. To some of the treatments, so we've changed out our treatments here in New Mexico to account for this and to make sure we're using antiviral treatments that actually cover uh, uh, the B117 variant. Uh, there was a great article in the Washington Post, "A Tale of Two Summers: The Pandemic Among the Unvaccinated," and this is kind of a complicated graph, but it's a wealth of information and. Uh, uh, what it, it shows first, let's start with the dotted line on the top, adjusted U.S. rate. This is what's happening in the rest of the country, and you can see, basically, since pretty early January, New Mexico has done better. This is the case rates per hundred thousand. The line on the bottom is actually the curves, uh, the the prevalence curves that we've had in our state, different than the EPI curve, but you can see that bottom line there. It's just everyone in New Mexico and the data we continue to report every day to the CDC. And then what the clever authors at the Washington Post did and their statisticians is they extracted out all of the unvaccinated people with a predictably low infection rate. And that red line, I think it's a red line, on the top refers to unvaccinated individuals. And so you can see the case rates right now among unvaccinated individuals really aren't that much better than they were on March 3rd. In fact, that they are starting to uh, decline again, which is good news with uh, more and more people getting vaccinated. One nice thing for unvaccinated people is that every time someone else gets vaccinated, it lowers the risk of an unvaccinated person from getting a case. But what we're seeing in the data, in our own data out of DOH, is that basically if you take every case we've had from January to May, you're 15 and a half times more likely to be infected with coronavirus uh, if you're unvaccinated than if you're vaccinated. Next slide looks at hospitalizations. Uh, and you can go on to the website and look at this yourself, although the deaths uh, graphing today isn't working. But same curve, same adjusted US rate same bottom curve of all of New Mexico, substantially better than the rest of the country. And I really thank the governor and everybody, everyone at DOH, HSD, CYFD, all, all, and every, really every department in the state. Trouble is once you start thanking people, then you realize it's too long a list to make it all the way through. But you can see that we're way, way below uh, the rate for the rest of the country here, less than, just about half now, and you can also see though that when you extract, take out the vaccinated individuals, that the case rate, again, is similar to where we were in early February. Your chance of being hospitalized with COVID, if you're unvaccinated, is 10 times higher than if you're uh if if you're unvaccinated, you have 10 times the chance of being hospitalized than if vaccinated. And deaths, unfortunately, now, and this is this sort of the, the pandemic amongst the vaccinated, death rates among unvaccinated people are now 22.6 times higher than for vaccinated people. So uh, even if you don't like math, I really think there's something in this slide for every unvaccinated pe- person. You may choose not to be vaccinated. Of course, you got three doctors here that would advise against that, that would advise you to be vaccinated but at least you know the risk that you're taking. And again, for yourself and for your family, uh, really consider uh, getting that vaccination to lower your own risk. Our gating criteria are all green. It's really nice. Everything is doing well. I had expected test positivity rates to rise. Uh, We got a lot of reporter questions in March on that. We've been working on the math in February, but. Testing is staying up and that's really good to see. That's how we find cases. That's how we find people to isolate and so they don't infect other people. It's how we quarantine their contacts. Our modeling still shows that uh, the contact tracing that we're doing and isolation and quarantine are a huge factor in fighting the pandemic. And so it's great to see the New Mexico firing as it were on all seven out of seven cylinders uh, here, I know there's no such thing as a seven-cylinder en- engine probably, so don't bother putting that in the Facebook chat. Vaccines, we're doing great. Uh, completed vaccinations uh, up to 56% uh, today. That was yesterday's number. We're still well ahead of our target for today. That is uh, 50, 50%. So we're doing really well. We think we're on track. Uh, vaccination... Completed vaccinations is what we report on the website, and full vaccinations is just two weeks after that. And so when we first hit, the day we hit um, 60% completed vaccinations, we'll set the timer exactly two weeks after that, we will be at full uh, vaccination uh, based on the CDC definition of that extra two weeks to allow full immunity to, to kick in. And so We're excited about that. We're still on track. You can see the curve is bending downwards. There are many of us at the state who believe that we're going to see the same sort of results in New Mexico, like we saw in Ohio and other places with the lottery, where a lot more younger individuals and more rural uh, people who live in more rural areas uh, will step up and take the vaccine. And so we're hoping to see see the same benefit here in New Mexico. And uh, I still remain confident we're going to make our target only 4.2% and two weeks away. Uh, so the map uh, is all turquoise, and that is due to a number of reasons. Actually, when we recalculated it according to the previous approach, I think we had four yellow counties, mostly toward the eastern part of New Mexico. But I think, and I know actually, I just talked to her, the governor feels so confident in our vaccine efforts and so desirous of restoring Uh, economic balance to the state, that she has generously uh, put forth in uh, the direction that that Secretary Collins signed today in the public health order, that until we're fully open, all counties will be turquoise. And so that's what the map's gonna look like uh, until we get to that 60% complete vaccinations and two more weeks after that, when we get there, um, and then we won't have a map anymore. We still will continue to monitor. On the next slide, Alex, I think I already did this slide. So, uh, but again, we're very confident in our progress with the uh, vaccinations and with our with uh, everything else that's going on. The cases are coming down. The vaccination is working. People are still being careful, which is particularly important if you have an immune disorder. If you live with someone who has uh, pre-existing conditions and so we i'm really happy about this and'm really pleased to see that uh restaurants uh, uh, and and other public venues will stay open going forward at the turquoise level next slide please and i think we're on the home stretch now oh just to re- just to point out a couple of things we still will publish the uh uh, uh the red yellow green metrics. For you, for example, if you go down to Rio or Ariba there, they're at 14 cases per day per 100,000, which is higher than our target at 10. They're below the test positivity target. And Alex, maybe you could follow with your pointer so people can see where I am, because the print is small. Uh, but a great vaccination rate, way to go, 62 and a half percent. The other thing that is sort of chilling and interesting to me is the, these are ordered in uh, by county according to vaccination rate. Los Alamos still at 79%, about three times the vaccination rate of the lowest county. And so uh, it does uh, have a couple 616s in the last column. I believe those will change to uh, June 30th uh, for the duration, but you can still get this data. And I know the governor's had conversations with mayors and others in, in, in asking them to continue to promote vaccination, to promote COVID safe practices uh, until the pandemic is over, over, not just meanly over for the vaccinated, because it's still actually spreading more rapidly among the unvaccinated individuals in our state. Okay, so final slide here is just, uh, you'll be fully vaccinated. Remember two weeks after your second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, or after a single dose of Johnson and Johnson, I hear tell that um, some places in the state will start distributing Johnson and Johnson in emergency rooms in a couple of weeks. So another way to touch people that we might not see very often, please get registered and get vaccinated, be aware of these new variants and your need for caution. If you have an immune disorder, pre-existing condition or are unvaccinated, everyone should still get tested if you have symptoms and, And if you do get a positive COVID test, find out about treatment because it is actively keeping people out of the hospital and the usual guidance we give you here. uh, Remember the face covering guidance that applies mainly now to unvaccinated people in most uh, public situations, all indoor situations and most outdoor situations. And so I think we have wonderful news. We're seeing the fruits of our labors if you will. Uh, I'm really, again, thankful to our partners. Uh, my partners here today, uh, Secretary Collins and, and and Dr. Ross, as well as the people behind the scenes. Just want to thank Alex Castillo-Smith, Matt Bieber, Matt Nersig, uh, and, and Jody McGinnis-Porter, who've really worked tirelessly to keep these presentations running and keep us on time. So with that, I think I'm going to turn it back and um, we're open for questions.
0: That's right. Thank you, Secretary Grace. And thank you, Secretary Collins and Dr. Ross um, for your presentations as well. And so I'd like to ask the media partners to raise their hand if they have a question. Um, First, let's start with Julia Goldberg with the Santa Fe Reporter.
4: Uh, Thank you Alex. Um, Thank you very much, uh, doctors. So I had a question related to long-term care facilities. The number of facilities with COVID-19 cases that's listed on our daily reports has been steadily rising. There were 25 yesterday, there were nine in mid-April. And I'm just wondering if you can speak at all about what you're seeing in terms of vaccination rates and the long-term impact there. I'm sure you saw National Geographic just did a story about the deleterious impact of COVID-19 in such facilities, specifically focusing um, on a facility in Albuquerque. And Alex, I'm sorry, really quick second question. Uh, Dr. Ross, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention um, at the start of May said they were going to be monitoring breakthrough cases differently and just looking at ones with um, that resulted in hospitalizations and deaths. It sounds as though New Mexico is not taking that tact. I just wanted to confirm that and um, ask if that was sort of the long term intention. Thank you very much. Sorry, Alex.
3: Uh, let me start with uh, the first question, Julia. And uh, I've been working with Katrina Hotram Lopez on long term care facilities, and actually, vaccination rates there are pretty good. I don't have the numbers. Uh, right in front of me. Uh, uh, But I will get those to you today because we have a slide from last week. But resident vaccination rates are in the 70s in uh, nursing homes and I think the very high 70s in assisted living facilities. Staff rates running about 10 to 15 percent low below the resident rates, but still way, way better than the national average. We too are concerned about the uptick in cases, we're really trying to balance the pretty uh, intense and continuous demand of family members to visit. You know that's good for the health of people in nursing homes. As a geriatrician who's worked a lot in nursing homes, I can tell you that the those residents who get visitors, you know, do have a pot more of a positive outlook than those that never do. Of course, they're using Zoom techniques and connecting people by video camera. Um, I think that uh, ultimately we are looking to try to boost vaccination rates even further in nursing facilities um, amongst both residents and staff and allowing uh, changes in visitation only in those places with higher vaccination rates to get it. uh, What you're talking about, that's something Christine and I were talking about last week, and I was talking with the governor's staff today, and we hope to have some new targets. I think what we're going to see, particularly in congregate facilities going forward, is uh, no no testing in the best of times for uh, when there are no cases for vaccinated residents and staff and more intensive testing when there are no cases for unvaccinated residents and staff. Of course, in a nursing home, an outbreak is defined as a single case. So as soon as there's a case, in either that or a assisted living facility, then we go in and test everybody. So that's really the approach we're taking. We're concerned too. We still get the daily report on that, that we look at every day. And I, I think just keeping up um, COVID safe practices and particularly remember that um, it's really people coming in from the outside that bring these infections in to the nursing home. So if you're visiting someone, In a facility, you just do not even wanna think about going if you have the slightest kind of symptoms and uh, we wanna protect people there the best we can. But watching closely while we try to balance the healthy aspects of visitation with the obvious unhealthy aspects of uh, what happens if someone acquires coronavirus, particularly in that age group and that setting, they really are our most vulnerable people. I'm gonna go on to Christine uh, on the second question about our approach and then Tracy, you can add to either of ours.
2: Sure, yes, thank you for that question. And um, uh, you're correct. So um, the CDC recently announced that they'll be shifting their vaccine breakthrough surveillance efforts to focus on um, cases that were either hospitalized or, or died. And we are also, uh, we also have plans to make that shift as well. And the reason is is you, you really want to focus in on those vaccine breakthrough infections um, of of real significance or where there is a bad outcome. So in other words, if you have a vaccine breakthrough infection and someone uh, tests positive, SARS-CoV-2 and they have mild cold-like symptoms, um, we really don't need to continue monitoring that moving forward. What we want to know are those cases who who become ill after vaccination and require hospitalization or even uh, ultimately uh, die, And the reason that is we want to study those, those cases very closely to understand um, what were the circumstances surrounding um, the vaccine breakthrough infection and was there anything um, related to an emerging variant, for example. Um, so that is why this uh, shift is taking place uh, with the CDC and then also with our own uh, surveillance efforts.
1: Thank you. I don't have anything to add. I agree with everything that's been stated. So thank you. Thank you, everyone.
0: Um, Okay. Next, I'll go to Dan McKay with the Albuquerque Journal. Hi. I'm hoping one of you or more than one of you could address the future after the color-coded system goes away. Um, When we graduate out of the map, will we still have an emergency public health order of some kind in place? Um, and if so, why and what? What would be some? Uh, are there regulations that, that we should expect to to still have around at that point?
1: Yeah, okay. For that question. Go ahead, Doctor Grace. Oh, no, you go first,
3: and I'll, yeah. I'll
1: thank you. And so, yes, the the goal is to open up, but we will still need to maintain some sort of surveillance and keep track of cases. But we will no longer be using this color scheme, so people will be free to go about and do their activities safely. Um, And then we wanna evaluate ongoing what makes sense to keep New Mexico safe. But please be clear, the goal is to open up.
3: Yeah, and and Matt, I think it's a really good question because it kind of teases out the tale of two summers and the vaccinated people and the unvaccinated people. Uh, Remember that even though everything will be open, businesses are still free to implement their own requirements. And I got to tell you that even though I'm allowed to go everywhere I want to without a mask anymore, it is still a little comforting sometimes if I'm going inside someplace and it says mask required and I get inside and there's, it's kind of more than a crowd that I'm quite comfortable with just yet. And so I think uh, there will be still a public health order, uh, particularly related to masking and other safe practices uh, for unvaccinated people, in my opinion. Second thing is that recall that the state with uh, somewhere in the top three or the bottom three lowest per capita incomes gets an, an enormous amount of revenue from the federal government to support programs mainly in HSD on a regular basis, like the food program, SNAP, or like Medicaid enrollment and and we've gotten substantial uh, extra benefits you know student snap the PEBT cards and, and so though the state is eligible for those benefits as long as the state has declared a public health emergency and the federal government has declared a public health emergency so as uh, the Secretary of Human Services Department you're going to hear more from me. Going forward about the other half of the pandemic, uh, which is the low, what's happening to low-income people with unemployment and everything else. And so I would certainly be an internal advocate in state government and have been to continue the uh, having an official state of emergency and public health orders in the state to allow us to continue to get that federal revenue, which I think is actually, we will have need for... For months, if not more than a year, after the federal government, you know, officially uh, feels that the pandemic has gotten to the point from a virus point of view that we can relax. So, uh, so in summary, I think we we'll still have to have some rules. I think there still will be regulations as long as the CDC has them for unvaccinated people, and I think we want to maintain a position as the state in the state that allows us to take advantage of federal revenues when they're offered. And we expect the federal government to help us uh, figure out how to gradually unwind things next year, next calendar year, and they're already issuing guidance. Sorry, it's a long answer, but it's really important that we watch out for those uh, folks who are unemployed and continue to get them benefits as long as we can.
0: Thank you, secretaries. And thank you, Dan, for that question. Matthew.
2: Go ahead, please. Hi, thanks for uh, taking my question. Um, uh, in regards to the vaccination rates, I noticed that a lot of the counties with very low rates are in uh, border counties. I wonder if with the uh, vaccine lottery or sweepstakes, whatever we're calling it, if you expect that uh, we'll see an increase of people saying, hey, I got my vaccine in another state. Uh, oh. And when you expect that to uh, to help, thanks.
1: So thank you, Matthew, I appreciate the question. And yes, there will be a proportion of people in those border counties that could have received at least one vaccine in another state. But keep in mind, the requirement to be eligible is that you have one shot in New Mexico. So we still feel like there will be a nice pool of residents who can look to being eligible for the sweepstakes.
0: Thank you, everyone. Uh, Algernon, go ahead, please.
3: Thank you, everyone. My question, I want to revisit uh,
2: prisons and detention facilities and just check in on uh, what efforts have been made
3: to uh, get vaccinations to people in these congregate facilities, um, your sense of the progress that has been made, and finally, whether those uh, inmates uh, get CDC-issued vaccine cards and if they're
1: eligible for the sweepstakes. Thanks. Yes, and thank you for that question. Secretary Tafoya-Lacero over corrections has done a phenomenal job with getting staff and um, inmates vaccinated. They are looking at really high percentages, so I applaud her for that. Um, At this time, they're not issuing, like, cards to the inmates that I'm aware of. The question about their eligibility for the sweepstakes is an interesting one. You know, I know who's not eligible, and that would be myself and other GovEx employees. Who've been appointed, um, we're not eligible, nor are members of our households. Um, but as far as persons in detention or corrections, I'm, I'm going to have to actually look at the rules and get back to you. Thank you,
0: everyone. Uh, those are all our questions that we have today. Oh, well, I, Julia Goldberg has raised her hand, so well, she can ask uh, a question. Go ahead, Julia. Thanks, Alex.
4: I just wanted to ask really quickly, Dr. Collins and Dr. Space, you both spoke to the American Medical Association in January and at the time said you were exploring vaccine incentives. And Dr. Space, you compared them to the ones used in Medicaid for health behaviors. Is that is that what we're talking about with the this lottery? Do you think that it will work sort of the same way as those Medicaid behaviors you talked about then?
3: Yeah, you know, everyone has a different uh, personal economy for making decisions, Julia. It's a great question. I think I took several econ courses in college that really dealt with the idea of personal utility and what it is that makes us want to do things. But in the end, at least economists who sometimes are just a teeny bit too cynical for me, but I really like the way they use so much math you know, they sort of feel like we all do whatever we do because we feel we have personal benefit from it. And so I think evidence in other states has shown that um, when you offer like a lottery type incentive, all of a sudden that personal equation, that personal utility for people uh, comes into play. Now, someone who's really rigidly opposed to the vaccine probably wouldn't be swayed by the chance to uh, win a million dollars. So the That's a pretty rigid approach, you know, uh, in my opinion. But I think that, yeah, I think we're hoping to see more rural counties, folks uh, line up and for the vaccine. In Medicaid, we have this little uh, incentive program that's rewarded people for many, many, many years, actually, for doing things like uh, getting health checkups for your kids. We did add the vaccination in there. I think it's worth. 200 points which is the equivalent of $20 for Medicaid recipients that's been in place since January but I think uh and and we we it's hard to measure whether that's been effective but I believe that hopefully I, that that middle group of people who just haven't really decided what they want to do about the vaccine will actually be swayed by this and show up and get their shots um and, and to a previous question too, like if it turns out the 10% of the population actually got their shots in Texas and they're motivated to go online and put that data in the DOH database, like I'll be a super happy camper. I'm sorry that they can't, they're not eligible for the uh, the lottery, but you know, the more people that are vaccinated, the safer our community is. Tra- uh, Tracy, anything else on that one?
1: Yeah, I think I agree with what you said. I just want to add that in states that have implemented incentives, we have seen an increase in vaccination rates. In Ohio, as an example, they saw an increase by 53 percent, and that was across all ages and in rural communities. So I think um, it's really there's evidence that it's a positive. The result's positive. Thank you.
0: Thank you, everyone. And so we'll move on to closing comments from our speakers. Um, And I would just like to take an opportunity and thank our speakers, particularly our secretaries, for participating in these press conferences over the past 18 months or so. So Thank you for providing information to New Mexicans. And so with that, I think I'll turn over to Secretary Collins and then Dr. Ross and then Secretary Grace for ending comments.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate everyone joining us today. It's been a pleasure to be on the panel with Dr. Ross, Dr. Strace, um, And I just want to encourage people, you know, if you're not vaccinated, please strongly consider and go and get yourself vaccinated. It is really our hope for getting back to our normal life and being able to interact with family and friends safely and to feel comfortable. And I feel like we're at a good place, New Mexico. So let's not only reach 60 percent, let's surpass it. So thank you. Dr. Ross? Sure.
2: Thank you, Secretary Collins. And I would have to say uh, it's really my pleasure to, to join you this afternoon. And as, um, as a, a medical epidemiologist, I, I, I have to make this statement that e- even though we've made tremendous progress, we know the pandemic isn't over. Uh, so that, as my perspective as an epidemiologist, I must, I must share that. So please be safe, New Mexico. And, and how, how can we be safe? Get vaccinated. And, and I just want to emphasize that over and over uh, the vaccines are safe and they are highly affected effective. Please get vaccinated. Also test. Testing is an incredibly valuable tool. If you have symptoms consistent with COVID-19, please seek out a test and follow up by seeing your uh, provider. And then for those amongst us who are still unvaccinated, again, please be safe. We know that masks, masking is is highly effective. Uh, We know that distancing is effective. So please um, use your mask socially or physically distance uh, when it's appropriate. And, and overall, um, just be safe New Mexico. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here today and to be able to uh, join you um, and celebrate our progress that we've made to date. Thank you.
3: Yeah, and I would just uh, say get vaccinated, just because I would say that every place I go. Um, and everyone should really, really consider it. Uh, please talk. Don't listen. I mean, there's actually data that shows that people don't listen as much to public health officials as they do, like their personal uh, practitioners. So talk to that important person in your life who you make healthcare decisions with and, and, and make the decision with them. I want to thank Alex for reminding me and including other people that I missed. Our ASL interpreters have actually been they, they were there back, hey, you guys remember when we did press conferences in person together? So some very familiar faces there. And uh, just again, uh, I'm really, for me, I get really excited when we have opportunities to see the economy open more. Uh, not because I need to go to a restaurant every night, but because I know, and I'm friends with a lot of people who own businesses and who really, really I have been through a tough time this past year. So it's exciting to me um, when we can actually relax the rules uh, as well. We were, as you know, not hesitant about tightening them up when it was necessary to do that. And I like that we're actually willing to loosen them up now that we have more success with the vaccine and uh, we think we have more room. Uh, Every time we've done that over the past three months, our predictions have proved true. We've had good results in schools. We've had good results with red, yellow, green, turquoise. And I think we're getting really close to to getting back uh, to something close to a normal life for most of us who are vaccinated and still that pandemic out there for those who aren't. So with that, I'll say goodbye. Thanks again to my panelists as well. And I suspect we'll see you in another couple of weeks.